0: Well, good morning. And if you're joining us from home, thanks for being uh, uh, with us at home. I know it's been a long season. Thanks for sticking in there with us. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to continue our series entitled, The King Like No Other, as we work through uh, this portion of Scripture this morning. So to a child, all things are new. You know, we our house, privileged to be a a dad and um, recently had one of my kids come up to me just super pumped. Daddy, guess what? What? I just am a fruit snack. (laughs) If you're not familiar with a fruit snack, uh, it's a rather healthy-ish tasting candy thing. It's not the end of the world unless... You're a kid. And then there's just this excitement about life and a kind of literally jumping up and down and spinning around and dancing like nobody's watching. And I mean, like, this is really good news. You know? Now, I know kids need to grow up to maturity. There's certainly a lack of emotional kind of control at that age. Yet I think what we find as we grow is not just... It's always a straight path towards maturity. Sometimes what, what grows is more of a cynicism, kind of a crustiness that comes along with growing up. There's something beautiful about the kind of innocent, hope-filled expectation that kids have and something that can get lost as we get older. And it's not about maturing, really. I think you know it, the world sends us knocks and hits. Not really even about the knocks and hits, it's really about our sinful response to those things. That's where cynicism, callousness begins to grow is in in our sinful response to this broken world. Right. Wonder if there is, church, in any area in your life, as you kind of consider yourself before the Lord, where you're heart has grown a bit callous, Where you would be able to point to maybe some cynicism. Some, your faith has gone from being flexible and young to kind of rigid and stiff in this particular area. I think before we look to God's Word, I think it would be wise to just consider this. And as a pastor, I want to encourage you, encourage all of us, I think there is one area where we would all be wise to look right here. To look and see, is cynicism creeping in? Is complaining becoming a thing? We don't have to look very far. I think that area is COVID. Our response as individuals to COVID. I fear that for many of us, our response is something less than that which would honor Christ. It would honor God. Perhaps it's grumbling or complaining, perhaps it's cynicism at what's going on. What's your, what's your heart look like with this? Do you see gratitude as a, as a daily walk with the Lord? Are you thankful for His presence in the midst of suffering? Are you aware of his goodness or is becoming more aware of the difficulties and less aware of him and maybe tempted towards cynicism? I think we should consider that as we begin to look to God's word together. So we're going to look at Matthew 9, verse 14 down through 34. It's it's a bigger section. We're going to take it one step at a time, but the, the section reveals Christ. In his power and in his mercy for his people. Now, to be clear, it doesn't mention COVID. Okay? <laughs> Surprise! It's not in your Bible. Alright? COVID's not in your Bible. Uh, but, but Christ is. And having a faith in him that's yielded to him and hopeful in him and grateful to him in all things is certainly what this passage is calling us to this morning. So, because the passage is a little bit longer, I want to read it one section at a time. So, let's begin at verse 14, and we'll just read that first paragraph and talk it through together. God's Word, Matthew 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn? As long as the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Okay, so this section, Matthew puts right here to serve as a bit of a lens over the passage we're going to be considering together, all right? So think of it like we're going to kind of look through some binoculars or something. This is the lens through which we're going to see the next couple sets of healings that Jesus is going to do. the problem is, I don't know if this is your take, but when I, when I read it, it's not instantly apparent to me what the lens is trying to help me see. It's, Jesus speaks almost a bit cryptically as he answers their question. So they come to him asking, hey, why don't your disciples fast? You know, everybody's doing it. This is pretty clearly the, the way that people pursue holiness, pursue God. The disciples of the Pharisees do this. The disciples of John do this. Why don't your disciples do this? And Jesus answers with three different Pictures, but they all are kind of converging in the same kind of focal place. And his first is to to say, "Well, fasting is something you do when you're sad. Fasting is for mourning. And now is not a time of mourning for my disciples. Now is not a time of mourning because I am the bridegroom, and I have come for them. You don't you don't fast at a wedding. You feast at a wedding." A wedding is a time of joy. This is a time of joy for my disciples because I'm here. Now, we're familiar with God's word for the most part. And this doesn't strike us with the uh, amazingness that it would have struck them. Probably struck them to the point that they weren't even understanding what he's saying. Because what he's saying is that he's fulfilling the Old Testament promises of God that God himself would come to betroth his people. And Jesus is saying, I'm the divine husband, and I'm here right now. And it's no time for my people to be sad and disappointed. I am here with them, and in my presence, there is fullness of joy. And at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I've come to do something completely new. And it's so new that these kind of religious rituals and and ways of being don't even connect with what I'm trying to do. They're, they're, they're not appropriate right now. Now, friends, we, we know that you know, Christ said this when he was here, and, and he's not here with us in the same way that he was then. So we live, it's often called, in the time between the times. Because he is with us. Hasn't he been with us this morning in worship? Praise God, right? He said he would never leave us or forsake us. He'd be with us to the end of the age. The Spirit of Christ is with God's people. And yet, while we can rejoice in that, there's a mourning both for the brokenness of this world and for the fact that we don't see him face to face and that he's not yet returned. And we anticipate and we look forward to that great day. So we do. We live at this time where we it's kind of a both and. We're called to be rejoicing. And yet, there is still some. Okay, so that's the first picture. The next one, he talks about this piece of cloth, right? So he says that he is like a new piece of cloth. Now, so new that it's never been laundered, and it hasn't shrunk. Have you ever shrunk something in the laundry that you didn't mean to shrink? You know, like it used to fit. Haha, <laughs> sorry, not anymore, you know? So, oftentimes, today, you can buy pre-shrunk stuff so that by the time you're trying it on, you know that's going to be its kind of more or less permanent size, whether you're at your permanent size or not. The clothing is at its permanent size, right? But Jesus is saying, he's like this piece of... See, he's so new. as like cloth that's unshrunk. You can't just take an unshrunk piece of cloth and put it onto old trunk blue jeans and then throw it in the wash. Because if you do that new piece of cloth is going to shrink and it's going to pull and tear at that less flexible, older, more rigid material and the end result is going to be worse for that piece of material. See, Jesus, he's trying, to, he's trying to get them to understand just how new it is, what he's doing. And that there's a kind of receptivity required on their part. They can't be stuck on this kind of religiosity self-righteousness, religious traditions, like fasting, that the Pharisees were stuck on, it requires a kind of flexible faith, kind of willingness to see him for who he is, to respond to him with a kind of hopeful faith in him. It's a call to be new, right? If he's new cloth, and he's going to, the only thing that can, that that can patch is is a new garment. It's called to become a new creation. To experience the new birth. That we could be united to Christ in all the newness that God is doing in Him. And then he uses one final illustration out of wineskins. New wine and old wineskins. So, okay. We don't have wineskins around, right? Um, so, here's here's how this used to work. They would... They would press grapes into grape juice and put that into a wine skin, and over time, those grapes would ferment into wine. That's what all of grape juice used to do before refrigeration, right? Would just turn into wine over time. So as it did that, the the uh, wine would produce little bubbles, little carbon dioxide bubbles, right? And so the the skin would have to stretch during the fermentation process, and and so that's how that worked. But the thing was, once that had happened to that skin, you couldn't take that skin and then pour new grape juice into it again and expect it to stretch a second time. It didn't have any stretch left to it at that point. If you did that, the wine skin would burst. And they all got this. They didn't need to have this explained to them because they understood this was just part of the everyday processes of life. But what he's saying is that he has come as new wine as something entirely different and new to this world. And that there's a kind of a receptivity required on behalf of those who would receive him, on behalf of those who would be impacted by him, a flexible, childlike faith that would be open to the newness of what Christ is doing. And again, the um, the pictures that he uses, they all kind of keep pointing back to joy. Right? He's the husband, come for the bride. And, and we don't fast; we feast because He's here. Christ is joy, and then He's He's new wine for His people to fill us with wine. Wine is not a drink for mourning; it is a it is a drink for celebration, and and it enlightens the heart, right? And that's what that's what He came to do for His people. Okay, so there's the lens, and if it's still a little bit foggy, we're going to get to see how it plays out now in a couple different healings that Matthew puts right next to this so we can see the newness of Christ and the kind of response to Christ that pleases Him and that we're called to as well. So let's look at this next story together. Two daughters. Two daughters in verse 18 down through 26. God's Word again. While He was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before Him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this, into all that district. So the ruler comes to Jesus because his daughter is dead. My daughter has died, but if, if you come and lay your hand on her, she will live. See, this, this sorrowing father is a, is a picture of this kind of flexible faith. He, he, he's a picture of one who's, just yes, sorrowing in this broken world, But he's not cynical in this broken world. He's hopeful as he looks to Christ. He's desperate for Jesus, and so he comes to Jesus, and he he just cries out, "Come, Come with me, please. If you but come with me and touch her, she will live. His is a desperate faith. Now, his is a desperate faith, but let's be clear. It's not a perfect faith. Because the request he makes on Jesus didn't really need to happen. Did Jesus really need to get up from there and go to that man's house in order to perform a healing? And arriving there, did he have to touch her in order to heal her and bring her back to life? Certainly not. He could have but willed it, spoken it where he was, and it would have happened. And yet, the passage does not focus on the imperfections of the man's faith at all. Rather, Jesus, hearing this desperate man's cry, it says, verse 19, and Jesus rose and followed him. That's it. This desperate faith, as imperfect as it may have been, was enough. And off Jesus goes to meet this man's need. No sooner had they set out than this woman comes up to Jesus. She has been sick for 12 years, and, and her ailment is such that she would have been unclean according to the law of Moses. All right? So we have a sickness here, that's true, but, but we have also a picture of uncleanness. She's not been allowed to participate in temple worship for 12 years. And if you were unclean according to the law, anyone that touched you would become unclean. And so, not only was she isolated from God, but she was isolated from her community, who could not get too close to her without inheriting her uncleanness. So, she has been suffering in isolation for well over a decade. (coughs) And she approaches Jesus like someone who's been isolated for over a decade. Not a lot of confidence doesn't just come up and talk to him tell him what's going on she just thinks maybe if I just sneak up the crowd won't notice maybe if I just sneak up he won't notice I know I'll be healed but I don't know that I'll be accepted I'm just going to sneak up and and try to be healed and she, she reaches out A finger to the fringe of his garment. And power flows. Faith reaches out and love responds and raises her up. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He stops and turns around and sees her. And he says, My daughter. Now, Think of those words to someone isolated and alone. Someone who's not been allowed near to God for 12 years. Or allowed near to other humans for 12 years. And here's the living son of God saying, my daughter. Not just that, take heart, my daughter. Take heart. Your faith has made you well. With these words, he put her at the center of attention, the last place she wanted to be these words, he put her at the center of attention the one place she needed to be. Because she needed more than healing. She needed to be welcomed back by God. She needed more than healing from Jesus. In these words, he established relationship with Jesus. My daughter, he says to her, we are now related because you came to me by faith. And then he declared publicly what's going on. Your faith has made you well. Everybody hear me? Everybody hear? She's not unclean anymore. She's clean. Welcome her back where she belongs. Glory to God. What a picture of faith. And it was an imperfect faith again, right? Just barely enough to reach out and touch. And oh, Jesus grabbed hold of that. And gave her far more than what she was even asking for. Okay, well after that, Jesus finishes up his journey. He goes to the house where this girl had died. And they've got the funeral service kind of going on. The, the official mourning has begun. The, the dirge is being played. They've got the flute players, the professional mourners are there wailing. Jesus sees all this and he asks them all, to leave because he declares that he's going to do something new and that this girl is only sleeping and is about to wake up. And here we have a picture of old wineskins, an inflexible cloth. They laugh at him. They mock him. They are unable to see the goodness of God in the face of this. See, they're, they're cynical. There's a worldly wisdom here. No, no, no. <laughs> Thanks. We know what death is. We know how this goes. We don't need what you're selling. This is nonsense. Cynicism takes hurt seriously. And it can see pain. It can deal with, the, it can see the, the problems of this world, but it is blind to the goodness of God in the light of all those things. And so he's, sends them out. And the author of life gives life afresh to this world. This is a, it's a picture ahead to his own resurrection. It's a picture ahead to your resurrection. When he does this for all his people. Glory to God. Okay, so there's our <clears throat> picture of two daughters. And then we have a picture of two men. In verse 27 through 31. Let's read those together. Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away, and spread his fame throughout all that district. So the two men <clears throat> meet Jesus on the road. Of course, they're blind. Somehow they know it's Jesus walking by. And they begin to cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. And you, and you know what is going on right there? These two blind men see better than everyone else around them. Because is the first time since chapter 1 in Matthew... He's been called by his title, Son of David. The king is here. Oh, this one's powerful. This one's able. He can do what he wills to do. Would you have mercy on us? Because you have the power to heal, if you but look our way. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't answer them. just keeps going and enters the house, kind of getting to his place of destination. And so they follow him. However they did that, as blind men, they followed him. And they found the house and they entered the house and coming up to Jesus, he tests their faith a second time. Directly. Do you believe that I'm able to do this. Yes, Lord. And touch their eyes according to your faith. Be it done to you. These are remarkably uncalloused men. Remarkably uncynical men. How long have they lived this way? How many bumps and bruises? How many flights have they endured? How much have they lost because of this ailment and and yet, in the middle of that, here they come eagerly to Christ and hopeful in Christ and trusting the goodness and the power of Christ. And as they do, the new wine is poured out upon them. And they walk away from All right, so we have the two daughters, now the two men, and finally, last little paragraph we'll look at two responses. Two responses, just... Three verses, we'll finish up in verse 34. Let's uh, read with me here, verse 32 to 34. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowd marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. The Pharisees said, He cast out demons. By the prince of demons. The man was mute. Unable to speak. And he was unable to speak because he's afflicted by demons. And here, there's faith highlighted again. But it's not even this man's faith. It's the faith of some friends that bring him to Jesus. Apparently, he's unable to bring himself to Christ. And so his friends bring him to Christ. And let me pause for a minute and say, dear church, let us bring our friends to Christ. Let us bring those to Christ who are unwilling to come on their own. Let's take them before His throne of grace, those who are unable to take themselves. Let us plead with Christ on their behalf as these dear friends did for this man. Now, the focus on the passage is not on the healing. In fact, it's remarkable. They, they bring it, they bring the man to him, and then, next verse, and when the demon had pe- been passed out, the mute man spoke. If we didn't, oh, I guess it happened. I missed it. The focus is not on the healing. The focus in the passage is on the response to the healing. We see the crowds being amazed, and then significantly, we see the Pharisees condemning Christ. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. They accuse him of operating in in the power of Satan. Here is cynicism at its worst. Seeing evil in this world and denying the goodness of God. Straight up denying it. And interestingly, they who should have been giving praise to God are mute in giving praise to God. Unable. To speak and give praise. Those who are accusing Christ of working for Satan are themselves doing the devil's work right now. They are like the blind men in the previous passage, unable to see, unable to see Christ for who He is. They're like the dead little girl in the previous passage before that, dead in their sins. Spiritually isolated from God. And they're like the woman who was unclean. In all of these ways, the Pharisees show us a response to Jesus. There are two responses, friends. There are only two responses to Jesus. Only two. One you might call the natural response. It's one of kind of cynical disbelief. A cynicism towards Christ. These are the dried out, shriveled wineskins. Refusing to see something so good and so amazing and so new as the person of Christ. The other response highlighted here again and again is this simple face. This desperate face. This new wineskin Flexible, looking to Jesus, God, I'm ready to receive the new wine that you're doing in Him. Friend, would you would you not look to Jesus this morning? Would you not respond to Him today? This, this message is for this message is for those who have never responded to Christ, and those who have responded to Christ time and again. This message is for all of us to respond today afresh. To the new work done through Jesus Christ. Are you so stuck, Christian, in your sins as to feel dead in them again? Merely in the grave? Then see how He raises the dead, dear friend. Are you so aware of sin that's grown up around you that you are defiled and unclean before God, then, friend, this morning, reach out and touch but the hem of His garment. And you will be clean before God. These are pictures of salvation freely offered by Christ to the needy, to all who would look and cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy, to all who would would fall down before Him and say, Come, come, help me! I need your help over here. to so all that would just reach out and touch him. These are pictures of salvation. He doesn't require a perfect faith. Glory to God. Is your faith imperfect? Then reach out anyway. Is your faith incomplete? Then reach out anyway. He doesn't turn away anyone who looks to him in desperation. What good news is this for us, saints on the long road? glory that He doesn't turn away those that come to Him with their need. So, Christian, have you found the old man sneaking up on you again? Sin grabbing hold again? Have you found yourself perhaps responding to this world with complaint? And back to what I mentioned originally. Responding to COVID more as a cynic than as a disciple. Less about gratitude and praise and more about callousness and annoyance. Friend, let us look to Christ afresh this morning. The one who came to pursue his people still pursues his people. The husband is still pursuing his bride. Let's look to him and be refreshed in who he is in what he's doing in the glorious future that he's promised in the reality of his new wine abiding joyful presence with us right now in what we're walking through. So friends, Do you find, as I do, do you find at times that your thoughts, your attitudes, are unworthy of Christ? Then come to Him. Then come to Him and bring your uncleanness and touch the hem of His garment. Do you find that at times Eyes of your heart grow dim. And you're unable to see Christ in all his goodness. Then cry out for the son of David to have mercy on you. Again. And he will. Have you grown mute to singing the praises of God? Too distant to look to him afresh with but one touch. And you will sing his praises again. He makes all things new. That's who he is. That's what he began right here. That's what he has begun in you, believer. And that new work he will continue to to do, to accomplish, and to renew until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us put our hope in him today and each day. Let's pray together. Jesus, all of our hope is in you. Thank you that you that you do new things. That you you show you have power over death and power over sin and power over sickness and power over depression and power over demons. Lord, you have power over all and you use that time and again on behalf of those that come to you with their need. Oh, we come to you this morning. And will we lift up our brothers and sisters here and maybe even particularly those at home who have covid endures and goes on they feel isolated from you they feel isolated from community Lord would you meet them this morning or would you would you look them in the eyes again this morning and refresh them with your own presence the new wine that you are meet your people we pray together as a church Be glorified, we ask, in our simple dependence upon you. Pray these things in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Amen.